Chapter 19 of Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tiffany Halla Colonna. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter 19 Mary in the Shop. More than a year had now passed from the opening of my narrative. It was full summer again at Testbridge, and things, to the careless eye, were unchanged, and, to the careless mind, would never change, although in fact nothing was the same, and nothing could continue as it now was. For were not the earth and the sun a little colder? Had not the moon crumbled a little? And had not the eternal warmth, unperceived save of a few, drawn a little nearer? But the greed and the fawning did go on unchanged, save it were for the worse, in the shop of Turnbull and Marston, seasoned only with the heavenly salt of Mary's good ministration. She was very lonely. Letty was gone, and the link between Mr. Warder and her not only broken, but a gulf of separation in its place. Not the less remained the good he had given her. No good is ever lost. The heavenly porter was departed but had left the door wide. She had seen him but once since Letty's marriage, and then his salutation was like that of a dead man in a dream, for in his sore heart he still imagined her the confidant of Letty's deception. But the shadow of her father's absence swallowed all the other shadows. The air of warmth and peace and conscious safety, which had hitherto surrounded her, was gone and in its place cold exposure and annoyance. Between them her father and she had originated a mutually protective atmosphere of love. When that failed, the atmosphere of earthly relation rushed in and enveloped her. The moment of her father's departure, malign influences, inimical to the very springs of her life, concentrated themselves upon her. It was the design of John Turnbull that she should not be comfortable so long as she did not irrevocably cast in her lot with his family. And the rest in the shop being mostly creatures of his own choice, by a sort of implicit understanding, they proceeded to make her uncomfortable. So long as they confined themselves to silence, neglect, and general exclusion, Mary heeded little their behavior. For no intercourse with them, beyond that of external good offices, could be better than indifferent to her. But, when they advanced to positive interference, her position became indeed hard to endure. They would, for instance, keep watch on her serving, and, as soon as the customer was gone, would find open fault with this or that she had said or done. But even this was comparatively endurable. When they advanced to the insolence of doing the same in the presence of the customer, she found it more than she could bear with even a show of equanimity. She did her best, however, and for some time things went on without any symptom of approaching crisis. But it was impossible this should continue, for, had she been capable of endless endurance, her persecutors would only have gone on to worse. But Mary was naturally quick-tempered, and the chief trouble they caused her was the control of her temper. For, although she had early come to recognize the imperative duty of this branch of self-government, she was not yet perfect in it. Not everyone who can serve unboundedly can endure patiently. 
and the more gentle some natures, the more they resent the rudeness which springs from an opposite nature. Absolutely courteous, they flame at discourtesy, and thus lack of the perfection to which patience would and must raise them. When Turnbull, in the narrow space behind the counter, would push his way past her without other pretense of apology than something like a sneer, she did feel for a moment as if evil were about to have the victory over her. And when Mrs. Turnbull came in, which happily was but seldom, she felt as if from some sepulchre in her mind a very demon sprang to meet her, for she behaved to her worst of all. She would heave herself in with the air and look of a vulgar duchess, for from the height of her small consciousness she looked down upon the shop, and never entered it save as a customer. The daughter of a small country attorney, who, notwithstanding his unneglected opportunities, had not been too successful to accept as a husband for his daughter such a tradesman as John Turnbull. She arrogated position from her idea of her father's position, and, while bitterly cherishing the feeling that she had married beneath her, obstinately excluded the fact that therein she had descended to her husband's level, regarding herself much in the light of a princess whose disguise takes nothing from her rank. She was like those ladies who, having set their seal to the death of their first husbands by marrying again, yet cling to the title they gave them, and continue to call themselves by their name. Mrs. Turnbull never bought a dress at the shop. No one should say of her, it was easy for a snail to live in a castle. She took pains to let her precious public know that she went to London to make her purchases. If she did not mention also that she made them at the warehouses where her husband was a customer, procuring them at the same price he would have paid, it was because she saw no occasion. It was indeed only for some small occasional necessity she ever crossed the threshold of the place whence came all the money she had to spend. When she did, she entered it with such airs as she imagined to represent the consciousness of the scion of a county family. There is one show of breeding vulgarity seldom assumes. Simplicity. No sign of recognition would pass between her husband and herself. By one stern refusal to acknowledge his advances, she had from the first taught him that in the shop they were strangers. He saw the rock of ridicule ahead, and required no second lesson. When she was present, he never knew it. George had learned the lesson before he went into the business, and Mary had never required it. The others behaved to her as to any customer known to stand upon her dignity. But she made them no return in politeness. And the way she would order Mary, now there was no father to offend, would have been amusing enough, but for the irritation its extreme rudeness caused her. She did, however, manage sometimes to be at once both a little angry and much amused. Small idea had Mrs. Turnbull of the diversion which on such occasions she afforded the customers present. One day, a short time before her marriage, delayed by the illness of Mr. Redman, Miss Mortimer happened to be in the shop, and was being served by Mary, when Mrs. Turnbull entered. Careless of the customer, she walked straight up to her as if she saw none, and in a tone that would be dignified, and was haughty, desired her to bring her a reel of marking cotton. Now it had been a principle with Mary's father, and she had thoroughly learned it, 
that whatever would be counted a rudeness by any customer must be shown to none if all are equal in the sight of god he would say how dare i leave a poor woman to serve a rich would i leave one contest to serve another my business is to sell in the name of christ to respect persons in the shop would be just the same as to do it in the chapel and would be to deny him excuse me mum said mary i am waiting on miss mortimer and went on with what she was about mrs turnbull flounced away a little abashed not by mary but by finding who the customer was and carried her commands across the shop after a moment or two however imagining in the blindness of her surging anger that miss mortimer was gone whereas she had only moved a little farther on to look at something she walked up to mary in a fury miss marston she said her voice half choked with rage i am at a loss to understand what you mean by your impertinence i am sorry you should think me impertinent answered mary you saw yourself i was engaged with a customer and could not attend to you your tone was insufferable miss cried the grand lady but what more she would have said i cannot tell for just then miss mortimer resumed her place in front of mary she had no idea of her position in the shop neither suspected who her assailant was and fearing the woman's accusation might do her an injury felt compelled to interfere miss malston she said she had just heard mrs turnbull use her name if you should be called to account by your employer will you please refer to me you were perfectly civil both to me and to this she hesitated a perceptible moment but ended with the word lady peculiarly toned thank you mum said mary with a smile but it is of no consequence this answer would have almost driven the woman out of her reason already between annoyance with herself and anger with mary her hue was purple something she called her constitution required a nightly glass of brandy and water but she was so dumbfounded by miss mortimer's defence of mary which she looked upon as an assault on herself so painfully aware that all hands were arrested and all eyes fixed on herself and so mortified with the conviction that her husband was enjoying her discomfiture that with what haughtiness she could extemporize from consuming offence she made a sudden vertical gyration and walked from the vile place now george never lost a chance of recommending himself to mary by siding with her but only after the battle he came up to her now with a mean unpleasant look intended to represent sympathy and approaching his face to hers said confidentially what made my mother speak to you like that mary you must ask herself she answered there you are as usual mary he protested you will never let a fellow take your part if you wanted to take my part you should have done so when there would have been some good in it how could i before miss mortimer you know then why do it now well you see it's hard to bear hearing you ill-used what did you say to miss mortimer that angered my mother his father heard him and taking the cue called out in the rudest fashion 
If you think, Mary, you're going to take liberties with customers because you've got no one over you, the sooner you find you're mistaken, the better. Mary made him no answer. On her way to the villa, Mrs. Turnbull, spurred by spite, had got hold of the same idea as George, only that she invented where he had but imagined it, and when her husband came home in the evening, fell upon him for allowing Mary to be impertinent to his customers, in whom for the first time she condescended to show an interest. There she was, talking away to that Miss Mortimer, as if she was Beanie in the kitchen. County people won't stand being treated as if one was just as good as another. I can tell you, she'll be the ruin of the business, with her fine lady airs. Who's she, I should like to know? I shall speak to her, said the husband. But, he went on, I fear you will no longer approve of marrying her to George, if you think she's an injury to the business. You know as well as I do, that is the readiest way to get her out of it. Make her marry George, and she will fall into my hands. If I don't make her repent her impudence, then you may call me the fool you think me. Mary knew well enough what they wanted of her, but of the real cause at the root of their desire she had no suspicion. Recoiling altogether from Mr. Turnbull's theories of business, which were in flat repudiation of the laws of him who alone understands either man or his business, she yet had not a doubt of his honesty as the trades and professions count honesty. Her father had left the money affairs of the firm to Mr. Turnbull, and she did the same. It was for no other reason than that her position had become almost intolerable, that she now began to wonder if she was bound to this mode of life, and whether it might not be possible to forsake it. Greed is the soul's thieving. Where there is greed, there cannot be honesty. John Turnbull, it is true, was not only proud of his reputation for honesty, but prided himself on being an honest man. Yet not the less was he dishonest, and that with a dishonesty such as few of those called thieves have attained to. Like most of his kind, he had been neither so vulgar nor so dishonest from the first. In the prime of youth he had had what people about him called high notions, and counted quixotic fancies. But it was not their mockery of his tall talk that turned him aside. Opposition invariably confirmed Turnbull. He had never set his face in the right direction. The seducing influence lay in himself. It was not the truth he had loved. It was the show of fine sentiment he had enjoyed. The distinction of holding loftier opinions than his neighbors was the ground of his advocacy of them. Something of the beauty of the truth he must have seen, who does not, else he could not have been thus moved at all. But he had never denied himself even a whim for the carrying out of one of his ideas. He had never set himself to be better, and the whole mountain chain, therefore, of his notions sank and sank, until at length their loftiest peak was the maxim, Honesty is the best policy, a maxim which, true enough in fact, will no more make a man honest than the economic aphorism, the supply equals the demand, will teach him the niceties of social duty. Whoever makes policy the ground of his honesty will discover more and more exceptions to the rule. 
the career therefore of turnbull of the high notions had been a gradual descent to the level of his present dishonesty and vulgarity nothing is so vulgarizing as dishonesty i do not care to follow the history of any man downward let him who desires to look on such a panorama faithfully and thoroughly depicted read auerbach's Diethelm von buchenberg things went a little more quietly in the shop after this for a while turnbull probably was afraid of precipitating matters and driving mary to seek counsel from which much injury might arise to his condition and prospects as if to make amends for past rudeness he even took some pains to be polite putting on something of the manners with which he favored his best customers of all mankind in his eyes the most to be honored this of course rendered him odious in the eyes of mary and ripened the desire to free herself from circumstances which from garments seemed to have grown cerements she was however too much her father's daughter to do anything in haste she might have been less willing to abandon them had she had any friends like-minded with herself but while they were all kindly disposed to her none of the religious associates of her father who knew or might have known her well approved of her they spoke of her generally with a shake of the head and an unquestioned feeling that god was not pleased with her there are few of the so-called religious who seem able to trust either god or their neighbor in matters that concern those two and no other nor had she had opportunity of making acquaintance with any who believed and lived like her father in other of the christian communities of the town but she had her bible and when that troubled her as it did not a little sometimes she had the eternal wisdom to cry to for such wisdom as she could receive and one of those things she learned was that nowhere in the bible was she called on to believe in the bible but in the living god in whom is no darkness and who alone can give light to understand his own intent all her troubles she carried to him it was not always the solitude of her room that mary sought to get out of the wind of the world her love of nature had been growing stronger notably from her father's death if the world is god's every true man ought to feel at home in it something is wrong if the calm of the summer night does not sink into the heart for the peace of god is there embodied something is wrong in the man to whom the sunrise is not a divine glory for therein are embodied the truth the simplicity the might of the maker when all is true in us we shall feel the visible presence of the watchful and loving for the thing that he works is its sign and symbol its clothing fact in the gentle conference of earth and sky in the witnessing colors of the west in the wind that so gently visited her cheek in the great burst of a new morning mary saw the sordid affairs of mammon to whose worship the shop seemed to become more and more of a temple sink to the bottom of things as the mud which during the day the feet of the drinking cattle have stirred sinks in the silent night to the bottom of the clear pool and she saw that the sordid is all in the soul and not in the shop the service of christ is help the service of mammon is greed 
letty was no good correspondent after one letter in which she declared herself perfectly happy and another in which she said almost nothing her communication ceased mrs warder had been in the shop again and again but on each occasion had sought the service of another and once indeed when mary alone was disengaged had waited until another was at liberty while letty was in her house she had been civil but as soon as she was gone seemed to show that she held her concerned in the scandal that had befallen thornwick once as i have said she met godfrey it was in the fields he was walking hurriedly as usual but with his head bent and a gloomy gaze fixed upon nothing visible he started when he saw her took his hat off and with his eyes seeming to look far away beyond her passed without a word yet had she been to him a true pupil for although neither of them knew it mary had learned more from godfrey than godfrey was capable of teaching she had turned thought and feeling into life into reality into creation they speak of the creations of the human intellect of the human imagination there is nothing man can do comes half so near the making of the maker as the ordering of his way except one thing the highest creation of which man is capable is to will the will of the father that has in it an element of the purely creative and then is man likest god but simply to do what we ought is an altogether higher diviner more potent more creative thing than to write the grandest poem paint the most beautiful picture carve the mightiest statue build the most worshipping temple dream out the most enchanting commotion of melody and harmony if godfrey could have seen the soul of the maiden into whose face his discourtesy called the hot blood he would have beheld there simply what god made the earth for as it was he saw a shop-girl to whom in happier circumstances he had shown kindness in whom he was now no longer interested but the sight of his troubled face called up all the mother in her a rush of tenderness born of gratitude flooded her heart he was sad and she could do nothing to comfort him he had been royally good to her and no return was in her power she could not even let him know how she had profited by his gifts she could come near to him with no ministration the bond between them was an eternal one yet were they separated by a gulf of unrelation not a mountain range but a stayless nothingness parted them she built many a castle with walls of gratitude and floors of service to entertain godfrey warder but they stood on no foundation of imagined possibility end of chapter 19 recorded by tiffany halla colonna